So today we're going to look at this uh, thing called the art of margin. And uh, the, the reason we're calling it the arts is most all of you, I'm assuming, uh, in high school, you had academics, you had athletics, and you had the arts. So, of course, we all know what the athletics are, and then academics, we all loved, right? I mean, the reading, writing, arithmetic, just wonderful stuff. And then the arts were, uh, if you took art class, or if you uh, took instruments, you were in the band, or if you were in theater, or if you were in the choir. How many of y'all are in the choir? Look at y'all. Uh, so that's the arts, right? And the arts are a little bit different than academics. They're certainly different than athletics. And uh, the, the arts kind of have a flow to them. So if you're going to be a painter, there's a flow. If you're going to, if you're going to dance, you need some rhythm, right? If you're going to sing, you have to understand harmony. How many of y'all saw the Dancing with the Stars? The, the girl, that, uh, the, the person that just won. How many of y'all keep up with that? I don't. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you, but I think somebody just won. The silver ball, right? And, and you see these people, there's, there's a dance or there's a flow to the arts. And I, I believe God wants your life to flow. I believe God doesn't want you to have a stagnant life, a stale life. I don't believe God wants you to have a frozen life where you're just stuck. And a lot of times whenever videos like that, we, we, we feel like sometimes that we are stuck. And I, I believe that God doesn't want you to live that way. God wants there to be a flow about you, that there should be an ease about you. Uh, even if sometimes that you're under pressure or you have lots of responsibilities, that there should be that there's an art to, to what we call margin. And uh, I gave you a de definition in your worship guide of what margin is. And there's several different definitions you could look at. Uh, the way that I like to think about margin is leftovers. How many of y'all like leftovers? How many of y'all live for leftovers? I mean, I remember what it was like coming home from school when you're 10 and you're what? Starving. I mean, I remember what it's like to starve as a kid. I'm starving. That's my, that's my kid's favorite word. That's like the word that they're using right now the most is, I'm starving. I, I kind of got mad at Noble yesterday because I hear I'm starving like 800 times a day. And I'm thinking, you're like a bottomless pit. What is wrong with you, child? Finally, I told him, I said, I'm not buying you food every time you're saying I'm starving. Quit saying I'm starving. Because we're riding, right now that we're riding down the road, and he's just like, I'm starving. I'm starving. I'm like, no, we've had bacon, egg, and cheese croissant, donut holes. And that was like an hour ago. And now you're starving. I'm starving. And it's frustrating, but I'm I remember being, I mean, I remember being 10 or 11. You come home from school and what are you? Starving. And the only, the, 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 the best thing is if there's leftovers. Now, whenever I prepare uh, a dinner for my kids, I don't just make enough for, 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 for dinner tonight. I make enough for what? Leftovers, baby. Leftovers. Why? Because that just means I'm going to make enough until you're full and you have something left over. And the reality is most of us live our life with nothing left over. After we pay all our bills, there's nothing left over. After we've given everything to everybody, we don't have anything left over for ourselves. We don't have anything left over for our spouses. After we've, we've all of our time, it just gets squeezed down into this, this calendar and there's just nothing left over. But leftovers make life sweet, don't they? 
I mean, come on, nobody, come on, you like to eat until they come to you and they say, Would you like a box? You say, Yes. Yes, I would like a box because I'm satisfied and I'm full to a point that there's not just enough for me, but now I have leftovers. And those leftovers can be used for a variety of things. And for, 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 for you and I, uh, how many of y'all like to pay all of your bills? And then you have like, at the end of the week, you have like $4,648 left over. How many of y'all like that week? How many of y'all like that year? <laughs> if I could finish my year with 4600 how many of y'all know a lot of times we pay all our bills and there's like $4.68? Amen. She's like, amen. Yes, Lord. Say it, Lord. We got $4.68 of leftovers. How many of y'all know life can be long if you don't have leftovers? Emotionally, life can be long. Marriages are destroyed because people give everything to their job. And whenever they get home, there's nothing left over. They give the, even wives give everything to their kids. And then whenever it comes to their husband, they don't have anything left over. So emotionally, it's easy for us to live life without any leftovers. Financially, I can tell you it's easy to live life without leftovers. But everybody likes leftovers. I like leftovers. My kids really like leftovers. Even a dog. Have y'all got a dog that sits by your table? I do. I have a dog. I have a dog named Bubba. And he's just waiting for my leftovers. He just sits at my table. He's just like, I'm, I'm right here. I'm right here. What's up? What's up? Give me a bean or something. I mean, I'll take anything. You'll take any, anything you don't want. Just give it to me right now. Anything, anything, anything you don't want. Uh, I have a, 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 I guess it's kind of funny, a sad story. Uh, I used to work at Outback. I mean, I like Outback. I used to work at Outback, and whenever I was in, in Bible college, uh, I, was, uh, I had Bible college from 8 to 12 every day, and then I would clean up job sites for this contractor, and then I would, uh, I would wait tables at Outback while I was in Bible college. And at the time, I had, I had this Wamariner because uh, we would, we, she's a beautiful dog, but... but there, there was seasons whenever we would breed her. Y'all know what that means, right? We would have puppies. Uh, and the reason we do that is because, man, we get like $3,000. When you're broke, $3,000 is like $3 million. So you're like waiting for the dog like, come on, I need you. I need you to have some puppies. Because uh, we have been needing some leftovers. So I had this dog and we would breed this dog. We bred Katie three times so, so that, you know, once a year or something for those few years that we had her, that, that we would make money. And that's not the only reason we did it. So I'm not like a puppy pound or anything. Don't call Peter on me or nothing ridiculous. But working it out back, uh, another way that we saved a little money is I would take the food out of the garbage and feed the dog. Don't get mad at me. That dog ate better than I ate. There were times when that dog was eating while I was like, scoot over. <laughs> because uh, you got it good. So as I'm waiting people's tables, 
wait, they didn't even want a box. They're like eating a filet or eating a ribeye. Like, can, can I get you a box? They're like, no. And I'm thinking, you are crazy. Everybody loves leftovers. So, but I would take these leftovers and I would just take four or five steaks. I put them in a box and I would put them in the refrigerator uh, at my folks' house. I was staying with my folks. And my dad worked for Union Pacific Railroad and he worked all hours of the night. So uh, he would come in and... Uh, I, I, would, I came in one morning. I'd been working there maybe a couple weeks. I was like, where's that, where's that food for, for Katie? And he's like, what food? I was like, well, there's a bunch of steaks in the refrigerator that I got, got for Katie. He's like, oh, I ate those. <laughs> I said, well, well. <laughs> I said, Dad, I got those out of garbage. I took them off people's plates. He says, well, keep up the good work. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Keep bringing it home because I was none the never. I didn't know. He's just like, I got half a steak, a half a ribeye, a half a New York strip, a porterhouse. They left the best part. Man, keep bringing them steaks home because at three in the morning, baby, there ain't nothing like some good free leftovers. Listen, our life, listen, life is full when you've got stuff left in the tank. How many of you ever driven on fumes before? Come on, you, you just, you're just like, please, 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 Lord, yes, please. I just need to roll into the gas pump, right? Just rolling it in there as it dies. Put your $3 in, grab a pack of Raymond noodles, and, and, and you're good to go. But whenever you have, you have enough to be satisfied, and now you have leftovers, that, that, that's where life really is. And uh, I, I looked at... You know, Harvard put out some different uh, surveys on stress. The NPR put out one. Time Magazine put out one uh, about why are Americans or why are people so stressed. And it says 72 percent of Americans have felt stress about money the past few months. So money's number usually the number one stress maker in people's life. Uh, for, for a certain age demographic. If you're between 18 and 35, money's a big deal because you ain't got none, right? But whenever you're older, older than 50, your health is a big deal. Why? Because you're getting older, right? But they said, they said money is a huge one. Eight out of 10 people employ, that are employed, they cite their job as a major source of stress in their life. Listen to this. Only 17% of workers say that their jobs aren't stressful. Which is an amazing statistic. 83 out of 100 people say, my job's stressful. It's taking more out of me than it's putting in. I get a paycheck, and that's great. That gives me the ability to do what I need to do. But man, there's only 17 out of 100 that says, it's not wearing me out. 77% of people said that parenthood was stressing them out. <laughs> Amen. I hope your kids aren't sitting by you. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> You're killing me. Harvard School of Public Health, they did one that said 43% of Americans are stressed out about their health issues. And then they go on to say that whenever you're stressed, you eat more than you should eat. I mean, I'll say that. You eat more than you should eat. You sleep less than you should sleep. Or you oversleep. And then that makes you more stressed. And it just keeps continuing to be this cycle of stress. NPR says that illness and disease, the death of a loved one, problems with work, life changes, transitions, family events, issues, problems with your personal uh, relationships. 37% of people worry about the health of somebody else. So we have this thing in America, or not just America, but we have this thing in life. And how many of y'all know it's just life? 
A lot of it's just life. But, but uh, again, I believe there, there can be an art to it. In other words, it doesn't just have to be this stagnant. It doesn't just have to be this frozen state of mind that, that you ride out until you're 65. And by the time you turn 65, they're going to move it to 70. Uh, by the time you turn 70, they're going to move it to 75. So you don't have to uh, uh, stick it out. And I believe that I don't believe that's the will of God for you. I believe that God gives us parameters in the word of God that create this art of margin. And margin just means that you have leftovers. And margin just means that, that, and you've heard it said before, that there's no room for, for, there's no margin for error. And for lots of times for people financially, there is no margin for error. Right? If, if I get a blowout, we're sunk. We're in trouble. There's no margin for error uh, financially for me. There's no margin for error uh, time-wise. That's why I have to drive 80 in a 45. And your kids are like this. They're just like, Mom, slow down. We've got to get there. And, and everywhere we go, we're driving 90 to another one. There's just not a lot of margin for error because we're involved in about 18,000 different things every day. And because of that, we squeeze our life down into a space that's really... We were never designed to live that way. And then as that goes, our health goes. And then we become depressed, oppressed, upset. And, and, and then and we think sometimes, well, this is just a season. How many of y'all ever said this is just a season, but the season don't ever end? You say, well, this is just a season. Well, you know how long a real season is. There's four of them in a year. So that means seasons are supposed to change, right, about once every quarter. But, but sometimes that season turns into a year, turns into five years, and you're in what's called the rat race. And you're just, you're just going and going and going. And, and we, we, we trick ourselves in thinking this is the way that it has to be. And I don't believe that, that that's the case. If you look at the, the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel was more busy than we were. And I know that we think that we're the, most, we're, we're the busiest society on the planet. We were recently in Rome and we went to the Colosseum. And you're, you're thinking, man, how long did it take them to build this Colosseum? And the lady, she's telling us, she says, well, it only took them 10, 10 years to build the Colosseum. And I'm like, man, we can't even get the potholes fixed. Not in Lake Charles. But I said, man, there's some places you can't even get the potholes fixed in 10 years. They, built. they said, yeah, but they built it in 10 years because they had 70,000 slaves working day in, day out, every day, all day. And the nation of Israel were slaves for 400 years. And I don't know, we, we have a hard time putting that in our brain, what that's like. But if you're a slave, your daddy was a slave, your granddaddy was a slave, and your great-granddaddy was a slave. And, for, and being a slave, they were a slave to Egypt. And, and, and they're a slave to Pharaoh. And their work day was even more maxed out than your work day. Seven days a week, sun up to sundown, they're making clay bricks. Or they're doing whatever Pharaoh tells them to do. And this goes on a hundred years, two hundred years, three hundred years, four. There is no day off, right? Whenever you're a slave to Pharaoh, that you don't get a day off. So for four hundred years, the nation of Israel is a slave to Pharaoh. But then the day comes whenever God tells, he tells Moses, he says, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. 
He's built enough on the backs of my people. Go tell them, go tell him it's time to let my people go. And we all know the story, right? Pharaoh goes and, 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 and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, you got to let God's people go. And for the first time in 400 years, a million people walk out of slavery for the first time in four centuries. But once they get out and, and they're, they're, they're being led to what was called the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, once they started going out there, God starts giving them a bunch of principles to live by. In other words, he has to recondition them because they've been a slave so long. They're so used to being a slave to that particular system that that mindset was so ingrained in them that this is just the way that it is. God actually had to set up some pretty strict laws. Really strict laws. And if you broke those laws, there were some pretty harsh consequences. So he brings them all out there a million strong. And he gives them and he starts giving them these ways to live their life. And we all know the famous Ten Commandments. How many of y'all know those Ten Commandments? Right? That's just ten of them. But there was actually over 600 of these principles that God said, You used to think like this. Now I need you to think like that. You used, to, you used to work like that. Now I need you to work like this. And one of the top ten. How many of y'all know where I'm going with this? Is he says, I'm commanding you to take a day off. It's a commandment. If you break that commandment, there's going to be consequences. He says, one day out of the week, you don't do nothing. When the sun goes down on Friday, it was against the law from them to work. Until the following, they couldn't work all day Saturday, and then until the following day. Well, what is God doing to these 400 people that are slaves? He says, you've been working seven days a week. You've been conditioned to do this. But he says, it's not the will of God. It's not my original intent. If you look at the garden, I love the garden. I always read the garden. I love reading about the garden because I believe that's God's original intent. And the Bible says that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. And that Adam didn't have to toil. But after the fall, after Adam and Eve sinned, God told Adam, he said, from this day forward, you'll toil. Or another says, he says, you're going to have to work and you're going to have to pull your livelihood out of the land. You're going to have to work. And he told one woman, he says, childbearing is not going to be enjoyable for you. I mean, I can get an amen if you're a lady. The guys are like, it's not so bad. <laughs> All the ladies are like, shut up. But God said, he says, he says, listen, he says, the original, the original design, he says, I walked with Adam in the cool of the day. So God takes these, these million people that have been st stuck in this for 400 years. And he says, now I'm commanding you. He says, there is a Sabbath and you need to keep the Sabbath and you need to keep it holy. Now, fast forward to the New Testament, and we have Jesus here. You can put it up there behind me in Mark chapter, chapter 2. Jesus said to them, really interesting scripture here, because they're talking uh, uh, about the Sabbath. And Jesus says this. Jesus says, uh, the Sabbath was not made for man, or the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus says, listen, the Sabbath was made for man. And sometimes we think that the Sabbath is just something that we give God. But God actually says, actually, the Sabbath is something that I gave you. 
The Sabbath is the day whenever I shut it down for you. I make it against the law for you to work. Not for me, not for my sake, but for your sake. You need to shut it down. He instituted the, the, the tithe even before the law. And this is not a money or given message. But, but even, even uh, uh, concerning the money, he says, you're going to take a tenth. You put it in a jar every day as you earn. And then at the end of the week, you're going to bring your tithe and you're going to give it to me. Not because I need it. How many of you know God don't need it? The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's and the fullest thereof. The earth is his footstool. And then the streets of gold and the pearly gates. I mean, he, he's loaded to the gills, right? I mean, he, he ain't suffering. It's not like, not like if we don't bring our tithes and we're oh, closing the doors. I think he's going to be all right. He, he's going to make it. But, but what's he doing? He's teaching. He's teaching me. He says, he says, listen, you don't have to work for the rest of your life incessantly and, and be only dependent upon yourself. You don't have to scrounge and grab and claw for every nickel. He's trying to teach people that have been in bondage for 400 years. There is a way that's better. And it's my way. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. There is a way that seems right to a man. But it leads to destruction. But he says that if you're, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come and learn from me. So he's having to recondition these slaves to think in a different way. On a different level. Look at Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19. Very interesting. And if you read the book of Leviticus. Most people read the book of Leviticus. And it's like this is the most boring thing I've ever dreamed in my life. God is so strange and awkward. And I'll give you. There are some things that are pretty strange in Leviticus. But again he's trying to take these million people. That have been in bondage. And he's, he's trying to recondition them. To live a better life. And he's creating a nation through which the Messiah will come. Leviticus chapter 19. I'm going to. Uh, I want to read a little bit more than that. Christian, I know, I know that you got just verse 9. Put, put verse 8 up there. I know it messes you up, but bear with me. Leviticus. He, he's, he's talking to them because they're farmers. And you understand they didn't have like whenever, whenever, whenever we think of farm, we think of huge combines and, you know, lots of commerce, you know, I mean, farmers, I mean, a lot of times it's feast or famine, but there's, there's a lot of money to be made. But, but for these guys, they may own one acre or three acres or five acres and what they produce in that small plot of land is their revenue until the next harvest season. How many of y'all understand that? It's not like every month there's perpetual money coming in off of their three acres. No, you farm the three acres, you gather the three acres, you save the three acres, you manage the three acres down to the grain. And you got to take some of the grain out for your planting, some of the plant out. The Bible says that he'll give you food, he'll give you seed to eat and he'll give you seed to plant. So there's this mentality is like we've got to save every grain. Every grape that comes off the vine, we've got to baby that. So it's so important. And look what God says. God says, whoever eats, it'll be held responsible. Never mind. Forget it. I messed it up. Go to verse number nine. That has to do with eating animals. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field. 
really strange. What's he talking about here? I'll tell you. He says, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Give me the next verse, Christian. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have followed, that have fallen. Whatever. Uh-uh. What's God saying? He's saying, after you've harvested anything that you drop, don't go back and pick it up. But I'm leaving something on the table. I'm leaving money on the table whenever I do that. He says, don't, don't gather the grain all the way up to the edge of your field. But, 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 but I, I have to work that amount. I have to have that amount. I have to put that overtime in. I have to do that. If I don't do that, then I'm leaving money on the ground, money on the table. But God's reconditioning. He's trying to change them the way that they're thinking. He says, he says don't harvest all the way up to the edge of your field. Leave the edge of your field off. He says, leave that for the poor and for the foreigner. This is the last, the, 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 the sentence I want you to grab. Though. He says, I'm the Lord your God. What is God trying to condition them to do? Trust him. He says, I'm going to condition you. You've been under the, the tyranny of this individual for 400 years. And he's taken away a part of your soul. But he says that the part that he's taken away, he says, I'm wanting you to give me the Sabbath, but really I'm giving it to you so that you'll trust me. I'm wanting you not to glean to the edges of your field and not to go back a second time to pick up every grain so that you'll trust me. He says, I'm the Lord, your God. He says, the, 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 the work that you're doing, the way that you're spending your time, the, the organizations and the clubs that you're giving yourself to. He says, I want to be the Lord, your God. So he says, I'm, I'm instituting of the tithe. I'm instituting the Sabbath. I'm instituting this Levitical gleaning so that you don't get so entrenched in performance that you miss out on your life. You don't get so entrenched in productivity that you lose your peace. How many of y'all know it's easy to lose your peace in 2016? How many of y'all lost it this week? Don't raise your hand. How many of y'all lost it while you were driving? How many of y'all wish you had a big, a big foot so you could run them over? Or a bond car, you could just blow them off the road. How many ever feel like that? I do, and I'm a preacher. And I just wish if I had missiles, I would remove you from in front of me. You are the slowest. Look, and you're not even that old. What's wrong with you? You are crazy. Get in the right lane. Yes. Can't stand it. Drives me nuts. You get all. I mean, I know God, God wants there to be an art. Or there should be a flow. And sometimes we get so entrenched in the way that, that our daddy did it. And our granddaddy did it. And our grandpappy did it. And we live in this society. But God says, listen, it's, a, it's important for you to not live stressed, depressed, and oppressed. He says, if you'll implement my statutes, my ways, my thoughts. He says, then you'll have peace with your productivity. And if you'll trust me in your efforts, he says, I'll make up the difference and make it to where it'll be three times better than if you would have grabbed that last grape. 
Because God says, I have a way of coming up and making weaknesses strengths. But you have, to, you have to do it my way. You have to learn of me. So, so we all recognize that we're all pretty stressed. We all have this going on. So, so, so how, do we, how, how do we remedy it or how do we fix it? Well, in your worship, God, I'll just go give you a few things I felt like the Lord wanted me uh, to, to, to give you concerning your emotional health, your financial health, and uh, the, the, the health of your, your time. The first one is number one, or, or I'll give you this one. Ephesians chapter 5, you can see the verse right there. So, so how are we going to do this? Well, God, God told Paul, Paul writing to the Ephesians, he says, be very careful how you live. Why? Because before you know it, it's over. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all know I'll never get my 20s back? <laughs> I can't say it again. I'll break down. I mean, I know you'll never get your 20s back. Another couple years, I'll never get my 30s back. They're gone forever. Forever. Isn't that, isn't that horrible? I mean, I know whenever you're 40, you never get your 30s back. When you're, when you're 50, you never get your 40s back. That's why God said, he says, life is a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. It's, it's a mist. It's a flower. Here it's in bloom, and then the next day... It, it, it fades away and it's, and it's removed. So he says, you better be careful how you live. Or what happens is at the end of our life, we've, we've spent it on, on not bad things, just maybe things that didn't quite matter the most. We get robbed of what matters. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 11. The, this is God's will. He says, the Lord wants to guide you always. He will satisfy your needs. I'm the Lord your God. He says, I'll satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. And I will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. Everybody say flow. Like a spring whose waters never fail. That's what God wants. That's what God's trying to condition us to be. And he was trying to condition these slaves to be. He says, I want you to be well watered. And that just means that you're not all dried up. Like you don't have anything else left to give. He says, I want you to be full and satisfied until you actually have some leftovers. Because leftovers make life grand. He says, I want you to be a spring that has a flow. Well, how do we do it? Well, he says, well, you got to be careful how you do it. Number one is you got to protect your time. You got to protect it. You got you to protect it. You got to protect your time. You got to protect your emotions. How many of y'all know some people just ain't worth your emotions? That's just a fact. Some people, are, they aren't worth your emotions. The, the, the what you're going to spend on them emotionally, it's just not worth it. So you have to protect sometimes. You just have to walk away from some things and say, you're not, you're not, you're not worth my emotion. You may not want to say that out loud. Uh, that may stir up some, uh, some hornets. But, but you have to have that idea. Say, I'm, I'm, I'm protecting my time. I'm protecting my emotions. And, and there's some aspects of your money you have to protect. The only thing more valuable than your time is what you choose to spend it on. If you remember Psalms 23, and this is David. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me. It's a law. He makes me to what? Lie down. In green pastures, he restores my soul. 
How does he restore his soul? What, what David said, he makes me protect my time. He makes me protect and value that part. And he says, he doesn't just make me sit down. He actually makes me, I'm about to do it, y'all. He makes, yes. How many ever do this? Have you ever worked your butt off all day long and then you come and you do this? How many of your wife's ever had you out in the yard like all day doing stuff? You're like, babe, the Lord's making me to lie down <laughs> in green pastures. Well, the reason they're green is because I had you out there fertilizing them. <laughs> no, babe, that's not what he meant, babe. That's not it. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores what? My soul. What's your soul? Your mind, your will, your emotions. When you're emotionally spent, David said, he says, the Lord, he makes me lie down and he restores my soul. How did David do that? He, you have to protect that. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, come unto me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn of me. Take upon you for, uh, my yoke, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light, says the Lord of hosts. Why, why does he attach that word, the Lord of hosts? Because there ain't a, you can't land on a planet where Jesus isn't Lord. He's Lord over the galaxies. Every cell in your body, he's Lord over. He orchestrates it. He's the Lord of angelic hosts, demonic hosts, physical hosts, human hosts. He's Lord over kings, rulers, nobles, princes. He says, I'm Lord over all of it. And yet he says... You come to me, and I'll give you rest. But you have to protect that. And the only thing more valuable than your time is what you spend it on. So, so you, have to, you have to figure out. Well, uh, number two is, is you, you, have to, you have to prioritize your time. You have to prioritize your money. I mean, I, I remember whenever we first got married, probably hadn't been married, three months. And me and my mom and my dad and my wife, we sat down to do a budget. Have you ever done a budget before? Have you ever done one with your parents it's depressing. <laughs> Just tell you, it's horrible. Because you think, man, we got all this money. I mean, I remember, and I got to hurry, but there was a Cosby show a long time ago where Theo had like, had like 150 bucks. And he's like, hey, I got some money. And Bill walks in and, and he's like, what are you doing with all that money? He's like, I'm rich. I'm going I'm to have all this. I'm going to do all this. And he says, well, are you going to have a car? He says, yeah, I'm going to have a car. He says, well, you want a nice car or not such a nice car? I want a nice car. So Bill reached over there and he grabs a couple of those 20s. And he says, you want to have a house? He says, yeah, I want a house. I want a nice house. So Bill reaches over there and he grabs like three more 20s and he's like oh I still got some money and he says you gonna have a girlfriend he says yep and Bill goes there and grabs the rest of that money <laughs> takes it away from him and Theo's sitting there broke and I remember me and my wife having to sit down having to do a budget and you think I got this I got this I got this but but you you have to figure out and we do lots of marital counseling we just married a couple Monday and we do premarital counseling you so say you got to figure out you got to sit down and find out you got to get together on what you're going to spend what you're going to save and what you're going to give and you have to prioritize where where where, where you're going to put it how's it going to go and there's a thousand things I could tell you about how to do financial planning and Dave Ramsey and you need to keep three months of of what you spend in savings in case there's this and all that listen the, the 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 thing is you just have to prioritize your time you have to prioritize your money and you have to come up with number three is a plan after you figure out what's important to you then you got to come up with a plan 
My, my, I have a big calendar in my office for the whole year. And at the beginning of every year, and Elizabeth, she has a planner. At the beginning of every year, we start writing. We fill that calendar up just like they did on, the, on the, the little video. We're filling it up, filling it up, filling it up. But on that calendar, I, I say, all right, now we got to pick three nights where, where, where just me and you go spend the night somewhere. We got to pick out a week where just me and you go take a vacation. We got to pick out, kids don't need a whole week. We need to pick out <laughs> three or four days where we take the kids. We're going to take them to SeaWorld or, or somewhere. And you say, well, how do you pay for that? You have to, you have to prioritize. You have to plan more. My, like my kids, they're telling me, they say, you need a new truck. That's what my kids are telling me. You need a new truck because my truck's 14 years old. And I'm like, I'm taking your little behind to SeaWorld. I don't tell them that. But that's my thing. I'm like, yeah, you may say that I need a new truck, but, but I've prioritized where I want my money. And I'm prioritizing where I want my time. And I have to protect that. And I have to prioritize it and I have to plan for it. Because if you don't plan for it, somebody else will plan for it for you. I mean, I got teenagers. They already got a plan for your money. I can tell you right now, my kids are 10 and they got a plan for my money. The plan is give it here. That's the plan. Give it all over here. Listen, if you don't protect it, if you don't prioritize it, if you don't have a plan for it, somebody else will have a plan for it. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 16. And I'm about to close. Put that one up there, Christian. Proverbs 15, verse number 16. He says, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with what? Turmoil. God, again, in the book of wisdom... What's the book of wisdom? Well, after he's had these people out of slavery, they were in slavery for 400 years. He's given them them principles. Along the way, he's always giving them more instruction. And here he gave Solomon the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom. And he's reiterating. He, sa he says, listen, it's better for you not to have as much as you got, but at least your life won't be in turmoil. Because whenever you over... Commit yourself to things. I mean, your kids are involved in like 19 things. It's like, we're on the rugby team. We don't even play rugby down here. It's like, they're, both, they're on like, that. you're on this league or this club or this team. You're on this, you're on this. And you're just driving around town, 90 to nothing. Pulling in the parking lots, throwing your kids out, picking the kids up. And you're just shuttling them all around. Everybody say turmoil. Sometimes it's good to protect some of that time, prioritize some of that time, and, and figure out if, if those things are really important. Is that money well spent? Is that time well spent? Is that emotions real spent, well spent? The last one is, is be present. In other words, whenever, whenever you're having this time... Be all there. I took Noble to play golf Tuesday. I usually try to take Monday as a day off, but I got busy. And I worked all day Monday. I mean, every time, you just got busy. Come on, I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. I'm, I'm in the same, same, same world that you're living in. I'm living in. So I didn't take Monday. But finally, I said, Tuesday, I'm bringing him. We're going. And we didn't even play nine, 18. We just played nine. So we went and played like three hours. But I'm out there, and I don't really play. I watch him. He's way better than I am. Uh, he makes me feel bad. Don't tell him that. He calls me his caddy. Uh, <laughs> that's how bad it is. He's like, come on, caddy. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, I get out my phone. He says, put your phone up. This is Father Son time. That's my 10-year-old. I said, okay. So I put the phone back in my pocket. If Chick-fil-A now, I think they take your phone away from you. Like if they see you eating there with your, if you've got, if you're on your phone, right? But the, the two days before that, we were sitting there eating and I had my phone out and Ansley said, can you put your phone up? We're eating. That's my eight-year-old. Come on, they got to recondition us sometimes. So I got to put my phone up. That just means whenever you're in those moments, you finally got those moments, be present. Be present. Protect your time. Prioritize your time. Have a plan for your time. Prioritize your money. Prioritize, Prioritize your emotions. Why? Because what happens is you emotionally spend all of your energy at the office. And then whenever you get home at 8 o'clock, there's nothing left for your kids. You're emotionally spent. There's nothing left for your spouse. There's nothing left for your folks. There's nothing left for yourself. You're emotionally spent. You have to figure out what, what, what's, what's valuable, what's really, what's important. So that you can have this flow and you can have, uh, you can go through your life and not say, the 20s, my 20s were rocking. I liked my 20s and I'm enjoying my 30s. The last thing I'm going to give you is, is in your worship, God, the, the last two blanks, I, 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 want, I want to end with this. It just says the enemy wants to keep us busy by keeping us afraid. And what I mean by that is most of the times we do what we do out of fear. 365 times the Bible says fear what? Fear not. 365 times it says fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. And yet these are the words that we say. Well, if I don't say yes to them, I'm what? Afraid. If I don't say yes to them, I'm afraid that they'll think this. Well, if I don't have my kids involved in all those activities, I'm afraid that they won't this. Well, if I don't spend this money or if I don't work 8,000 hours a week, well, I'm afraid that we won't have enough money at the end of the month. Well, I'm afraid if I don't get there on time, I'm afraid if I don't do this, if I don't do that. And we've been Condition, we've become a slave to fear without even realizing it. And we say that we're Christians, right? I ain't afraid of nothing. I'm a good, strong Christian. Demons are afraid of me. And that, but on the same hand, you say, the reason I say yes all the time is because I'm afraid if I don't say yes, then they're going to do this to me. Or they're going to cut my hours. Or they're going to give it away. Or they're going to do this. And all the while, what I'm wanting you to have in your brain is, trust me. Because that's what God wants to be in your brain. Because every time you feel like I need to say yes because I'm afraid. I need to bring my kids because I'm afraid. I need to buy this or I need to save this or I need to work those hours because I'm afraid. What I want you to have in the end, in, on, the, on the flip side is, is trust me. Because all throughout your Bible, God is trying to get you to fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Leave that grape on the ground. You can leave it. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Now, the, the one caveat before I close is, listen, I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't work. I'm not saying you shouldn't work your butt off. My daddy taught me to work my butt off. 
He really did. And my dad always told me, he says, if you'll work your butt off, people always want you around. Well, yeah, they will because I'm always working my butt off. He says, you'll always have a job if you'll work your butt off. If you'll be the, the first one in, the last one out, if you'll do this, if you'll do that. I mean, my dad literally would work 60 or 70 days straight without a day off. Then he would take a personal day and then he would work another 60 or 80 days. Then he would take a personal day. I mean, just work, work, work. So I, my daddy taught me to work. So I'm not saying that I don't value. Even the Bible says, earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little the folding of the hands tendeth to poverty. He says, I will, uh, I reward those who are diligent. So God is big on diligence. He's big on rewarding. He's big on effort. He's big on you earning your bread by the sweat of your brow. He's not big on you becoming stagnant, frozen, squeezed, and locked into this pattern of life that, that, that you're in bondage. He wants to set you free. And he wants you to say, come unto me, all of you that are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Learn of me. My yoke is easy. My way is light.